Okay, friends, the story begins. We are back. <laughs> Page 48. We are on the seventh blessing of the Amida. The seventh blessing of the Amida is the blessing of redemption. Right? Behold our affliction and behold our affliction and wage our battle. Redeem us speedily for the sake of your name. For you, God, are the mighty Redeemer. Blessed are you, Lord, Redeemer of Israel. Commentaries point out, this is the seventh blessing of the Amida. What's the significance of seven? Well, there's a lot to do with seven in, in Judaism, right? But think about the month of Nisan, the seventh month from the beginning of the year, the seventh month from Tishrei, the month of redemption. Seventh is associated, is highly associated with redemption. Right? The, the completion, the, the ultimate culmination of the exodus of, of Egypt happened not at the exodus, but actually seven weeks later, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Right? It takes seven weeks to get into full redemption mode. <clears throat> This blessing is, there's a context to this blessing. It's been a little while since our, our previous lesson, our previous discussion. But the previous blessings spoke about Teshuvah. Spoke about the power of Teshuvah. The power of returning, the power of connecting. And how somebody who returns and rebuilds a broken connection is stronger than somebody who had that connection and never lost it. Where the words of the Talmud, where a Baal Teshuvah stands, where a penitent stands, the greatest of righteous people can't stand there. Teshuvah is stronger than even Sadiqim. Because when somebody does Teshuvah, there's a certain intensity, there's a certain passion, there's a certain energy. Or, let's put it this way. Let's say somebody, for the most part, hasn't messed up much in their Judaism. They do the commandments. They do the mitzvahs. They try their best. Conversely, if somebody else who has made big mistakes and messed up catastrophically, but they do teshuva, they want to reconnect to God. You know what they're essentially saying? This is going to sound a little radical. I may have messed up on what you want, on your will, but I'm still connected to you. I know I messed up on what you want. I'm still connected to you. Amitz was what God wants. I didn't do everything my spouse wanted. I'm still connected to my spouse. That's teshuva. That's why uh, many commentaries point out that teshuva is not actually a mitzvah. Because what's a mitzvah commandment? Teshuva is higher than a mitzvah. It's connecting to the commander. Because the truth is 
God doesn't really want mitzvahs. He wants a relationship through mitzvahs. He doesn't want tefillin. He wants you to put on the tefillin. <laughs> doesn't want Shabbos candles. He wants you to put on the Shabbos candles. He doesn't want kosher food. He wants you to eat the kosher food. <laughs> he doesn't want Shabbos. He wants you to celebrate Shabbos. You to make kiddush. It's a relationship. Somebody who does teshuva essentially says, even if I messed up on the specific commandments, I still have this relationship, and that's going to infuse a whole new energy into commandments. That's liberating. That's incredibly liberating. That's real liberation. That's why the very next blessing, after the blessings that represent teshuva, is the blessing of liberation. Now that we've done teshuva, we can feel liberated. We can feel free. The irony of a binding relationship with God being free, by the way. But that's how we see it in Judaism. That's what freedom is. What other relate? What other religions celebrate? The, you know, the irony of a bar. Compare Judaism to secular culture. In secular culture, you have your sweet 16, your freedom. You're celebrating freedom. You can do what you want. You have a driver's license. You get to... In Judaism, we celebrate a bar or bat mitzvah. We're celebrating responsibility. That's our idea of freedom. That's our idea of happiness. Because it's the relationship. It's the connection. Let's take a look at the text itself for a second. <clears throat> Behold our affliction. Look at the Hebrew for a second. Re'eh. Translations are, are not always literal, but let's translate it literally for a second. We'll translate it together. Re'eh. Re'eh means see. Na. Please. Come, please see. Be'anyenu. See us in our affliction. Ve'riva rivenu and battle our battles. I'd like to hone in on that third word over there, v'anyenu, our affliction. It's referring to the affliction of exile. During exile, we don't always feel connected to God. We don't always feel free. You know what the word anyenu means? It actually comes, there's multiple meanings here. It comes from the Hebrew word ani. What does Ani mean? Not with an Aleph, which means I, but Ani with an Ayin. The three middle letters. Ayin, Nun, Yud, Ani. Ani means poor. Somebody who's poor. So we say, see us in, not our affliction, it also means affliction, see us in our, what's the word? It's not poverty. Our I poverty. Mean... So po poverty, I think, is as materialistic as opposed to something else you might be trying to convey. Okay, so, so okay, good. But what would spiritual poverty represent? The Talmud says that a person could have, could be um, materialistically speaking, they can be quite wealthy, but spiritually they can be poor. When it comes to insight, when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to spiritual connection, you have all the... I, I, I saw an Amazon truck drive by today. 
and they had a little cute uh, slogan, which really shocked me, to be honest. I don't know why it shocked me, but it it, kind of, it said, warning, contents in here may make you happy. It's cute. Are you kidding me? That's what we're trying to convey to people. I mean, I get it. They're in the business of selling things. And the way they're doing it is by trying to convince you that things will make you happy. There could be a puppy inside there. Right. There could be a puppy in there, right? <laughs> <laughs> there might be. You could get anything from Amazon. Things don't make us happy. Things may give us pleasure. Things won't liberate us. Wealth will liberate us, but spiritual wealth—spiritual wealth, tongue twister. Say that six times fast. Spiritual wealth. See us in our poverty. God, we're experiencing spiritual poverty. The spiritual poverty, says the Talmud, refers to knowledge or lack thereof. A lack of knowledge of God. <clears throat> what happens if we don't know God? We don't feel an intimate connection with God. We're forced to just believe in him. <laughs> the, the, the way Judaism sees it, faith is, is elementary. Faith is an elementary entry level of a relationship. Because you start off with faith. I believe there is a God. Faith is a lack of knowledge, right? And as you get to know God, the relationship deepens. Shouldn't have to have faith in your spouse. You shouldn't. <laughs> you should know your spouse very well. That's a process. Have faith in our children. We should know our children. We start off having faith in them. But we get to know them. We get to know our employees, our employers. But God sees right now that we're poor. We're in poverty, spiritual poverty. We don't seem to know him. But he sees that we still have faith. We ask God, liberate us. Bring the Messianic era. Usher it in. Because the Messianic era is that time when God's presence will be comfortable in this world, God will be able to, everybody can experience God. In the words of Isaiah, the whole world will be filled with the knowledge of God. We'll get to know God. We'll get to know God intimately. We'll be wealthy. Right? Let's take a look at the words again. Re'ei, see, na, please see us. Ve'anyenu, in our poverty, our spiritual poverty. See that we have spiritual poverty. In our lack of knowledge, we have mere faith. So you got to battle us with us. You got to help us. What happens when you don't know God? You just have faith. You have a strong battle with that Yetzirah. Because we're not that comfortable yet in our connection with God. There's a lot of space for the Yetzirah. There's a lot. There's a big battle here. So we say, Redeem us quickly. For the sake of your own name. 
why doing the messianic era when God redeems us, we're going to get to know God. The Yetaharo the will be irrelevant. If you know something with conviction, nobody can talk you out of it. If you know God, I don't mean know that he exists. You feel a deep connection with God, a mature connection with God. Not just an elementary faith connection with God, but you feel a deep, mature connection with God. That Yetzirah will be irrelevant because you won't take him seriously. You take the relationship seriously more than we take the Yetzirah seriously. And by, by the way, this is so much more fun to talk about at a class <laughs> than implement at the time where the Yetzirah is bothering us. I get that. I get it. It's true. This is a daily battle. It's why we say this blessing every single day. Right? Take a look at the conclusion of the blessing. The last line. Middle of the line. Or second to last line, sorry. Baruch Atah, blessed you, Hashem, Lord. Goel Yisrael, the Redeemer of Israel. It doesn't say he who has redeemed Israel. Although he did redeem Israel. But he's the active Redeemer of Israel in the present tense. This is a daily battle. This is a daily occurrence. Every single day. We're recognizing our spiritual limitation. How much do I really know God? How much do I really know my soul? How much of it is it just simple faith? There's room, there's space for this battle for the Yetzirah. God, redeem me. Redeem us. Usher in that time. We're going where we're going to be able to experience the ultimate truth where the whole world, as Isaiah describes, will be filled with the knowledge of God. These blessings aren't just requests, they're meditations. From, from the Hebrew, um, is Chazak Ata, Goel Chazak Ata, um. Mighty Re Go Goel Chazak is mighty redeemer, right? Correct. Oh, okay. Because normally, I, the minute I say, "Oh, Chazak, Chazak, Minit Chazak," yeah, and I was thinking, "Oh, strength, strength." And, exactly, okay. mighty, strong. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When you recite this blessing, see it as a meditation, or even if you don't recite this blessing, but see this as a meditation. Because again, the the, the relationship of the Amida is not just asking God for things. It's the relationship. This is a meditation. I may be spiritually deficient. I may not feel so confident yet in my connection with God. I have simple faith. But I know God is with me and I know he's going to help me with these battles and I know he's going to redeem the world and I know there's going to be a time where I will be fully confident in my connection with God, fully knowledgeable and intimate in my relationship with God. It will happen. It happens after we do Teshuvah. That was the previous blessing. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Okay. Before we move on to the next blessing, any questions, comments, thoughts, reflections, controversy? Okay. Next. The blessing, of, we're going to skip the gray blocks. That, that gray box is recited 
on fast days. It's an additional blessing recited on fast days. But the next blessing is the blessing of healing. And again, these blessings are requests because the structure of the Amida is that there's three blessings of praise, seven, uh, 13 blessings that request things from God, and then three blessings of thanks. Right? Like a fundraising pitch. Praise, ask, think. <laughs> That's what the Amida is. But the deeper dimension is that we're not just asking for things. Our ability to ask for things is a relationship, and this is a meditation. What are we asking for in the next blessing? We're asking for healing. If, God forbid, you know somebody who's ill, have them in mind when reciting this blessing. Heal us, O Lord, and we will be healed. Help us, and we will be saved. For you are our praise. Grant complete cure and healing to all of our wounds. For you, Almighty King, are faithful and mercy are a faithful and merciful healer. Blessed are you, Lord, who heals the sick of his people, Israel. The Talmud says that the earliest sightings of this blessing was actually by Abraham. Abraham was 99 years old and he, with God's instruction, circumcised himself. It's got to be painful, right? Do you remember that story where God sent the three angels? One to give an announcement, one to destroy the, announce that he's going to have children, one to destroy the, the Sodom, one to heal him. After the angel healed him, Abraham said, the blessing, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you, Lord, who heals the sick. That was the original source of this blessing. That's what the Talmud says. That's why this is the eighth blessing, because he recited after the bris, which was on a bris is theoretically, his bris was not on the eighth day, but a bris is associated with the eighth day. The basic meaning of this blessing, where does healing come from? Healing does not come from doctors. Healing comes through doctors. Just like everything in this world comes from God, through people, not from people. Right? Why are we able to not work on Shabbos? Because our work doesn't, is not, the, our money doesn't come from work. It comes through work. So God says, don't do it on Shabbos. And the money will come through, and it does. And it's true with healing as well. Healing comes from God through the doctor. The doctor is just the channel. And that's why it drives me crazy when doctors give life or death sentences. Not their place. Not their place. It's a horrible thing. Horrible, horrible thing. Part of this uh, class, we like to get controversial, right? So if there's any doctors listening. <laughs> it's God's decision how long people live. The job of a doctor is to heal, not to decide how long they have. How often are these doctors correct? How often are they incorrect? God sets aside what the ethics of healing are. 
job of the doctor is to heal. Not decide those ethics. There is a deeper message here. What does being spiritually ill represent? That's a Jew in exile. Think about what our life was like as a Jew pre-exile during the time of the first base of Mikdash. Open miracles all around. You come to the base of Mikdash. You experience God. The entire or most of the entire Jewish population lives together peacefully in Israel. Spirituality is, is just right there. It's just the normal part of life. The base of Mikdash is destroyed. We're exiled. And we're ill. We're spiritually ill. You know what happens to a spiritually ill person? You know what happens to somebody who's sick? You want that Diet Coke, but your stomach can't handle it. Right? You want to, um, you want to eat. You can't handle it. Your stomach is pulling you in other directions. You can't appreciate the pleasure that that Diet Coke or whatever it may be is able to give you or able to offer you. You can't because you're being pulled in other directions. During exile, we're sick because we have Torah, we have mitzvahs, and they're beautiful. And we can't appreciate, or we could theoretically, but we don't by nature seem to appreciate their value. We seem to often regurgitate them. We're pulled in other directions. Our animal soul is pulling us away. But it's nobody's fault. It's not our fault. It's just the way God gave us an animal soul. That's part of exile. The animal soul's very strong. Very strong. We can't appreciate the pleasure of a mitzvah. Again, going back to what we said in the previous blessing, we have faith that a mitzvah is of value, of sacred value. But can we sense the pleasure in it? Can we sense the pleasure of, of, of Torah study? We can eventually. We work on it. We have to work on getting healthy. We have to work on getting... But it's not our, it's not our nature. Naturally... We feel ill. And we say, God, help us. Heal us. Let me be able to eat this food. Let it nurture me. Let me do this mitzvah. Let me study this Torah. Let it, me feel nurtured by it. Let me glean the spiritual uh, um, connection through it. That spiritual pleasure that I get, that I get through it. So here's the story. You ever see those videos of people going to the Rebbe for a dollar and they get a blessing and they go by and it's usually a quick encounter. You know what I'm talking about? This guy goes to get a dollar from the Rebbe because the Rebbe would hand out dollars every Sunday. This is a Jewish guy who abandoned his faith. 
converted to Catholicism. He's he's picking on the wrong rabbi. He he <laughs> he's he converted to Catholicism. Totally gave up on his faith. And he's coming to the Rebbe to proselytize. You know, we study Tanya and we study like about the soul and every Jew wants to connect and it's like, ah, don't see it. Good thing I'm not the Rebbe because the Rebbe saw it. The Rebbe saw right through him. It was, It's on video. If you remind me, I'll send it to you later. So here's what happened. He tells the Rebbe that my parents are Jewish and born Jewish. I was raised Jewish. I'm no longer Jewish. And now I believe in that person who we killed, right? On the cross. Now I that's who I believe in. The Rebbe looks at him and says, Nope, I'm paraphrasing. Nope, you're a Jew. You're born a Jew. Once a Jew, you're always a Jew. And you're just confused. It's like a person who's ill. He says, I don't feel ill. I feel great. This is my path in life. The Rebbe says, then you're really ill. You're so ill that you don't know you're ill. The Rebbe was very blunt with him. We know the Rebbe as very, being loving and being very kind. But in this particular video, the Rebbe was very straight with this person. You're so ill that you don't even know that you're ill. And the more you engage with this, the sicker you're getting. You need to stop it. You need to reconnect with your faith. Because that's who you are and you can't really run away from it. You need to realign yourself. The guy would not take it. <laughs> the Rebbe would not give in either. The Rebbe saw right through him and said, you have an neshama and that's it. There's nothing to discuss. There's no debate. You're just ill. The guy wrote a, some sort of book you know, for his missionary work, proselytizing. He actually gave it to the Rebbe. The Rebbe took it. The guy leaves. The Rebbe calls him back. The guy comes back and the Rebbe tells him, I'm just taking this book from you so you don't give it to anybody else. And then Rebbe threw it on the floor. But fast forward decades later, this person discovered he was ill. This person discovered that he needed to get better. This person realigned himself with his faith. And now is fully connected with his Yiddishkeit puts on tefillin on a regular basis and connects with his Judaism and has abandoned his, his idolatrous ways. This is exactly what we're asking for in this blessing. God, heal us. There's times in my life where I'm regurgitating the very connection I'm meant to have. Sometimes I feel like this connection is getting in the way of my prosperity. I got to Keep kosher, it's getting in the way of my relationships. Shabbos, getting in the way of my financial success. I got to give charity impossible, not in the budget. Not to speak Lush and Hara, not to gossip. I'm going to be a social weirdo. I can't do this. I can't handle it. No, no, no. God, heal me. Because this is healthy food. And I. It's tasty food. It tastes good. It's pleasurable. But if my stomach's regurgitating, it doesn't mean the food is bad. It means my stomach is off. God, heal me. Spiritually heal me so I can reconnect. 
in the messianic era when Mashiach comes, we're going to be fully healed. The world will be full of the knowledge of God. We're going to fully connect and feel, feel the beauty of the connection, how it's good for us. Right now we believe it's good for us. We're going to know it's good for us. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.